And welcome back to another edition of what I like to call From Nonsense to God Sense as we take a look at some of the things that go on in this world through a biblical perspective. Because oftentimes if we look at the craziness of this world through a worldly perspective, it gets even more nuttier and, and it's hard to make sense of things that go on. And so when we bring the uh, the biblical views into it, it tends to make a little bit more sense. At least that's what we try to do and we enjoy, uh, enjoy doing that and hope that you enjoy the conversations and come along on this journey with us as we have these conversations. And with me is Dan Delzell. He's a, an author at the Christian Post. He's written many articles on many things. He's a pastor at a church in Papillion, Nebraska as well. And Dan, thanks again for joining us. And um, you're not uh, you're not in the great state of Nebraska. Uh, where are you this week? Well, I tell you, son, it's yeah, gr- great to be with you as well. And actually uh, getting ready to do a little bit of ministry in a couple of uh, uh, Christian high schools uh, here, both in uh, in St. Louis and in Kansas City, so not too far away from uh, from Omaha. But uh, yeah, look, looking forward to doing that here over the next day, and uh, uh, just an opportunity to share the gospel and really try to encourage some young people. And and uh, yeah, in fact, maybe in our conversation today, I can uh, share a neat little analogy that I uh, I've never really used it quite like this before. But I think uh, you know, even some of the listeners today might might uh, appreciate uh, thinking about it this way. You know, that's one of the things that here in California we kind of forget about at times because we've been so locked down for so long is that the ability to be able to get out into a, a group setting to talk to people, to be able to uh, experience that kind of group setting. I mean, we've got uh, a little bit of restaurants uh, opening up a little bit and, you know, a little bit of maybe hair salons in a parking lot or a barbershop that's opened up in a parking lot, you know, little things like that. But, you know, we still have churches under fire out here. In fact, uh, John MacArthur's church, which I'm sure you know John MacArthur, we've talked about him. Sure. Um, he, yep. uh, you know, he's been, uh, his church has been battling in court about having church in indoors and i know the city of los angeles they're still trying to uh shut him down and they're going after him with um fines i think they are trying to find and collect twenty thousand dollars from his church for being open and so you know for it's almost it's almost like um a, a you know tell of two countries really i mean you're in an area where you're able to go out and and talk to some people talk to the youth and which is very important for that next generation of Christian to come up, next generation of faith believer. And yet here we're, you know, being forced to, to shut down and having to kind of relegate ourselves to roles of being, um, you know, um, villains, so to speak, or, you know, anarchists. Well, maybe that's a little too much, but, you know, we have, we have to be, we're, we're, we're kind of, um, relegated to lawbreakers in order to yeah. uh, attend church. So it's kind of interesting how in the year 2020, you know, uh, it's such a divide in this country when it comes to religion that in one area yeah. you can go out and talk and gather and preach and share the word. And here you get fined and shut down and utilities turned off. And, you know, you have to go to court just to have your uh, your rights of uh, freedom of religion to be able to do that. Yeah, I tell you, it really is something, Simon, when you see the huge contrast and the difference, really depending on the state that you're in, just like you said, and depending on um, the attitude of the governor of your state, you know, we are the United States of America. But uh, as we've seen really now for quite a few years, um, you know, the, the political uh, divide is, is, is as great as ever. Um, some of the uh, ideas that are being put forth uh, by, uh, by progressives are getting, you know, zanier and zanier and, and really unbelievable. And yet there are people that seem to believe them. I mean, something is just as ridiculous as, you know, defunding the police. I mean, who would have ever thought that that idea would have been taken seriously, but, but things like that, that are, are, are people are actually thinking it are a good idea. Uh, and, and as you say, son, they just lead to anarchy. And then, you know, the different governors, uh, that, um, take such a, a different approach. Uh, some, you know, really understand, uh, the, the freedom that, uh, we've been given as Americans and others seem to want to clamp down. And so, yeah, you're, you're in the th- it out there in California, and we we kind of hear about what's going on out there with John MacArthur and others out there, and and uh, it really is kind of a different world in many respects right now. To you know, say like uh, you know here in Nebraska, I mean, it's really uh, what what a contrast. 
You know, it kind of reminds me, we're going to be delving into uh, Romans 8 a little bit today in our continuation from last week, which was Romans 7. But, you know, in Romans 8, verse 5, it talks about those who live according to the flesh. You know, they have this mindset set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have a mindset of what the Spirit desires. And that's what it's really come down to, is a divide between those that are, you know, for Christ and those that are against Him. And, you know, I know these political leaders get up there and they will preach that, you know, oh, we're for religion. Liberty, we're for the people, we're for this, but their actions, their actions in shutting down the church, their actions in fining the church for being open or for, you know, even the governor shutting down things but allowing bars and other things to be open, you know, their, their fruits demonstrate to them that they are really living according to their flesh because if they were living according to the spirit, then they wouldn't be going through these things and trying to oppress the church and shut it down. Well, that, that's just it, son. And, and as you say here in, in Romans 8, you know, the mind, sinful man is death. Um, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mindset on what that nature desires. And, you know, really the, the bottom line is that every human being either has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them or they don't. Um, every human being is either, you know, born again or, or not. And one of the ways that I'm going to approach it with the youth here now that I've never really done it quite this way is um, I'm going to uh, have them just consider for a moment how, you know, anytime you go for a doctor's appointment, whether it be a physical or just something else, you know, it's, it's very common that one of the first things they'll do is to check your blood pressure. And so uh, what, what I'm going to be saying to the youth is that I'd like to, you know, really just have a very simple way of, of, of checking, uh, you know, having them really check their, their, their blood pressure, but not, not in their body, but their, their spiritual uh, blood pressure. Uh, to, to see uh, what sort of health they may have within their soul. And, and the way that we're going to do this is with one of the best questions um, I, I've ever heard. I know that uh, D. James Kennedy's ministry, before he went to heaven, they, they used this with um, Evangelism Explosion at Coleridge Presbyterian Church down in Florida. Others, of course, have used it. But it's a question unlike almost any other son, and that it cuts to the chase of what a person is relying on for, um, for their hope of going to heaven. And so I'll ask the youth, youth, as I've asked so many people, you know, if you were to die today and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you tell him? And I'll let them think about that during the course of my uh, presentation to them. And, and then as we start to kind of um, dive into it a little bit, and I'll, I'll share some, you know, gospel rap and some freestyle rap with them and, and, and things, but mainly going to get to the gospel and going to share um, with them that uh, a majority saw so once again with a recent poll, a majority of Americans believe that um, heaven is something that you have to earn by your works. And so what I'll be able to say to these young people with, with great, you know, compassion and sensitivity, but also in great honesty, and that is that, you know, for any of them that might be at a place where they're answering that question, with a very common answer like, well, you know, I try to live by the golden rule or I try to do what I'm supposed to do or I try to obey the Ten Commandments. Basically what that reveals, Son, at least at that point of the of the answer and the little dialogue, if you will, or the, the question and answer, what that reveals is that you're not getting any blood pressure whatsoever. Um, you're not getting any pulse, any spiritual pulse whatsoever. Um, on the other hand, um, when a person answers it, um, with, with, uh, a focus on the cross and on the blood that Jesus shed. When a person says, well, you know, I, I don't deserve to go to heaven, but, uh, I mean, I'm a sinner, but, but Christ died for me. Uh, I believe in Jesus as my savior. Now there we have a pulse. There we have, um, some blood pressure. The blood of Jesus has, has literally, um, brought new life. It would seem into that person's heart. Oh, sure. You could have one in a hundred or one in a thousand who maybe has the right answer and in their heart, they still are just giving that, but they want to live for sin. But, you know, I haven't run across that hardly ever, Sean. I've rarely if ever run across somebody who, who has said, well, you know, I'm trusting in Jesus as my savior. And then in the back of their mind thinking, boy, I love, I love to sin way more than I love Jesus. It's really funny that way. Almost that if you're not born again, um, you, you, you really don't even know the simple answer of, of how Christians are sure, or at least can be sure, that heaven is our home. So it really is a powerful question. It's a way that I'll invite the youth. We'll, we'll check their blood pressure. We'll see if we find a pulse. And if we don't find a pulse, 
then uh, there's hope. But it's only going to be found for those who turn away from relying upon the law and begin to rely upon the gospel. This is the only way to be saved, redeemed, forgiven, born again, and justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And then the whole Christian life takes off. We spent the whole podcast last week talking about, you know, the struggle between the sinful nature and the spirit and, and the old nature within us in Romans 7. So, you know, that's when things get challenging once you're saved. But it's amazing, son, how many people, even in this country where the gospel, you know, church is on every corner, but so many people yet do not understand and believe the gospel. And it's only in believing the good news that you start to get a spiritual pulse, that you start to have, a, you know, blood pressure reading in your soul, because now it's the blood of Jesus coursing through your spiritual veins as you're relying not upon your works, but upon his atoning sacrifice there at Calvary. It's almost like get that uh, blood transfusion going where Jesus, right. the blood of Jesus comes in and starts to take over. And that's not to say, Amen. and that's not to say like every week we talk about, we want to bring home the reality that as humans, you know, the Bible talks about us being sinful and failing and there are going to be shortcomings. And so we are going to have our, uh, our sinful nature take over and do things to us, much like we talked about last week, Paul, but that wasn't who he right. was. You know, he, he wasn't the sinner he was paul the believer that happened to sin and therefore we have to keep that in mind that yeah even though we get this transfusion and this new blood in us there's going to be shortcomings and we have to take that and keep that in perspective and not beat ourselves up with it but we also have to keep in mind too that you know the mind that's governed by the flesh is going to die and the mind that's governed by the spirit we're going to have life and peace according to romans 8 you know there that's what it says and and the other thing too is you know the mind that's governed by the flesh is hostile to god you know there may be times where where we might cry out to God because we're going through a hardship and we might be like, God, why are you letting me do this? Why are you putting me through this? Or, or why am I suffering for this reason? And we might question God, but I think that's a little different than the mind being governed to, to being hostile to God, like some of the things that we're seeing in this world today, because it's, it's just, I guess, I guess it's just gotten to the point in society where we're starting to see more and more of a divide and a vast difference between people that are living for themselves and people that are living for God in today's society. You know, that, that is so true, Son. And, and I've, I've been hearing this now for a number of years from different people and, and you know, uh, popular Christian speakers and, 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 and uh, you know, pastors and, and apologists and, and others. Uh, maybe even Ravi Zacharias maybe even mentioned this a few years back. But I've heard people saying just what you said, that, that it's like people seem to be moving um, out of the middle to, to, to more um, a place of, of really taking a stand for the gospel uh, or uh, moving the other way where, um, you know, may, maybe, maybe all you live for are, um, you know, progressive politics and, and, and that's, your, that's your religion. Um, and, and so it ultimately it does come back to whether or not um, you are spiritually reborn um, and, and whether you are saved. That, that's why we can never go back to the gospel enough, Son. That's not to say that, that um, you know, there's not a lot more that, that we need to cover uh, in Scripture. But, but here's what I think happens sometimes, Son, uh, and, and even in many Christian circles. You know, um, it, it's easy to get this idea that if we just pound people with enough rules and enough of the law, you know, we're going to turn them into some, you know, some pretty committed Christians. But, but you know, um, it's really important that we understand from Scripture how this uh, spiritual maturity happens. Um, yes, we need, we need the rules for holy living uh, that the epistles give us. I mean, not to mention, obviously, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, which are still um, just as, as valid and important for us today. I mean, we're not saved by them. But uh, Jesus did not come to abolish them. So every one of them are just as important today for the believer. Uh, however, um, there's an even more important message, and in, in that it, it's a saving message. The law cannot save. The gospel is what saves us. And, and I think for Christians, you know, um, sometimes, you know, a church or pastor can kind of get into this rut where, I'm just going to give people, you know, kind of seven how-tos, you know, how to have better finances, how to have a better marriage, you know, how to, um, you know, have more and so forth. And, and, you know, those can all be fine and well, but if we don't stay very, very close to the bedrock of the gospel and scripture, the way Paul did, you know, every epistle, it seems, he wrote just about 
He lays out the gospel uh, for the folks in the early chapters, and then he moves on to rules for holy living. But, 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 but you know, I, I think there's this idea sometimes in, in, in the church, Son, that, well, you know, we know the gospel. I mean, heck, that's just the basic stuff, and, and it's more than belief anyway. It's about really what you do. So that's the important thing. So that's what we need to talk about. Well, it's not, it's not either or. Um, and if the gospel doesn't infuse your preaching, your teaching, your life, then you can become so weighted on the side of, 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 of all these rules. It's almost like now you're living back in the Old Testament where rules are the dominant part of your life, when really for the Christian, um, the, the, the rules are, are very, very important. But, but the greatest uh, command is to love. And, and that's not something that you can legislate. Uh, you know, that's not something that you can, um, you know, force a person to do. That has to come from the heart. Uh, we have to be made a new creation. We have to be born again. We have to daily stay under the, the waterfall of God's, of God's love uh, because, as D.L. Moody said, we are leaky vessels. So it's not as simple as just give people seven how-tos and they're going to go out and live a good Christian life that week. Well, if it were that easy, you know, I suppose that'd be, that'd be one thing. But, but the epistles, and we saw in Romans 7 last week, they get down to where we really experience life. Not where, you know, maybe somebody says, if you just live this way, you know, it'll be great. No. The, the epistles get down to, to the real issues that Christians confront on a daily basis, and they, they bring us to a place of spiritual maturity, largely by teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And, and as God's grace teaches us to say no, the Lord continues to fuel the fire and the, the living water and, and, the, and then the spiritual growth that happens. But it, it's a whole lot deeper, Son, than just thinking, I'm just going to go out and give Christians a bunch of rules. And, and they, they may come away feeling way more defeated than energized. I mean, you know, yes, rules for holy living. Uh, are a part of our message, but um, there's a much deeper thing going on here in the new birth, and and it, it motivates us to want to obey the rules. And, and so it's not just a matter of having somebody tell us over and over again, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do that. Um, but we need to go back to the well. We need to go back to the cross. We need to stay under the fountain. We need to stay connected to. Uh, the blood of Christ and the cross of Christ and prayer and Bible study and service and witness and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it's a very complex thing. And, and, uh, and I love what you said a moment ago about how, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe we're even prone to beat ourselves up. Well, Romans 8.1, you know, that we're looking at today, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Paul just laid out in Romans 7, you know, how many times we still mess up. Um, how many times he even still messed up. Maybe he'd have a 10-second relapse over here and a 30-second relapse over here, maybe where he's starting to think about this or that, you know, getting, you know, getting even with somebody. Who knows what his you know, struggles with you know, his sinful nature were after he was converted. Um, if it were anything major, you know, like we see with King David or others, we'd hear about it in the Bible because God put it in there. You know, if one of his leaders really went off the rails, um, God wasn't afraid to tell others about it because the Bible is true. Every bit of the Bible is true, and it's not just, you know, picking out the, the, the good bits and pieces in, in people's lives, but it, it's the whole thing. And, and so it's a very authentic um, relationship with Christ that we get in, in the Gospels and in the Epistles. And I just love that Paul uh, was inspired to write here, there's no condemnation. So, you know what, okay, you messed up, or you said something you shouldn't have, or did something you shouldn't have as a Christian, but guess what? You're not under condemnation. Uh, we press on, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. So all of this comes with growth and learning and continual study and, uh, and really just a, a renewal of the gospel, which is uh, something that happened, you know, 500 years ago in the church. And um, that was so important to, to, to really just even the denominations we have uh, today and, and, the, and the growth of the gospel all around the world. Dan Delzell with us, uh, author of the Christian Post. And Dan, you mentioned rules, and the more rules we have, it reminds me of the Pharisees and how they became obsessed with the rules versus, you know, the, you know, the Bible or the, I guess it was the Torah back then, but you know, about what, what the, what the words of, of God were saying. For example, um, if you had, if the Bible said something to the effect of don't touch this, then what they would do is they would, resurrect a big temple around it and say nobody can go in the temple 
and only, you know, certain people, but they forget the fact that what Jesus was saying or what the Bible was saying, instead they focused on the rules. And that's what we have to be careful of when we start focusing on rules and on the, on trying to, um, you know, create rules and then try to obey the rules and then not break the rules. Then we become focused on the rules, which then focuses us on the works that we're doing which then is counter to what the Bible says, that it's not by works, lest no man should boast. And so it's like we really do have to check ourselves when it comes to those rules because even though we want to implement rules that we think are going to be good, too many rules we start to focus, and then that takes our focus off of what we're supposed to be focusing on, and it really kind of just confuses everybody and causes more and more problems. So it's almost like when we try to do our works, our works get in the way of our faith, and then that can affect us and how our relationship is with uh, Jesus. Yes, uh, that, that is uh, absolutely right, Son. And, you know, the Pharisees, as you mentioned, um, where, where they were getting it wrong in the first place was regarding righteousness. They were self-righteous. They were looking to themselves to be righteous before God. Um, this is why Jesus one time said to some Pharisees, he said, hey, don't think I'm going to accuse you before the fa- my Father in heaven. He said, your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. So, so what Jesus was saying is, is this, Son, uh, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't criticizing the fact that they um, took Moses seriously or, or the Old Testament law seriously. What, what, what Jesus was coming against was the fact that they were relying on that to be made righteous before God. And we cannot overestimate how critical that is. That's where I say in the first place, they had the righteousness issue wrong. You cannot get anything about spirituality correct if you get righteousness wrong. You'll end up with fake spirituality, counterfeit spirituality, false spirituality. I mean, it may be very um, emotional, it may involve various spirits, you know, other than the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, it may be very energizing on certain levels, but it won't be authentic without the Holy Spirit. And the only way to receive the Spirit is to receive Jesus as your Savior. And as Paul writes earlier in Romans here, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So this is why, Son, um, the gospel has to be revisited over and over again. And I'll tell you what, Son, um, this survey that they just did, and they found, you know, majority of Americans, uh, you know, believe that you have to earn your way to heaven. Um, they, they found in that same survey that like 44% of Pentecostals and 41% of evangelicals and like, uh, you know, 40% of, of, of some other, um, you know, Christian group, um, those folks pointed to their works when they were asked about their hope for heaven. This is a massive, massive problem because this lies at the root of all of, of a person's spiritual problems. If you don't get a righteousness correct, then you're not yet born again. You're not yet saved. You're not in God's family. And, and, and there will be nothing that will happen that will please the Lord. I mean, we who know Christ through faith alone, we know how challenging it is to walk with the Lord daily, to walk closely with Him, um, to do everything He wants us to do. We know how challenging that is, even when our sin is forgiven by, by grace through faith in Christ. So imagine, Son, those like the Pharisees, where, where, where Jesus said, your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. Imagine how challenging it was for them, because they did not have the blessing of the Holy Spirit in their life, they felt like they were righteous enough. And, and this is the point we have to keep going back to. And it's why, for example, I'm going to ask these youth, as I've asked so many people over the years, you know, if, if you were to die today and God were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell him? Because that cuts through everything. That cuts through what, what is it that I believe makes me righteous in God's eyes? And, and this is the, is the foundation for faith. And until we get that, you know, in, in place, uh, as Paul writes in Corinthians, you know, there's no other foundation other than the one uh, that has been laid other than Jesus Christ. Until we get that one right, son, we're not going to get anything right with the Lord. We may be very zealous. I mean, my goodness, how zealous Saul was before he became the Apostle Paul. He was, he was hauling Christians off to prison. He was, he was zealous for all the laws. But as you said a couple moments ago, um, 
if the focus of your life is law, but you don't have gospel, then you don't have Christ, you don't have forgiveness, you don't have salvation, you don't have God, you're not born again, you're not spiritually healthy because you haven't had that blood transfusion that you talked about, Son. You, you, you don't have a pulse. Uh, you don't have any blood pressure in your soul. You're not alive. And this is why Paul could write in Ephesians 2.1 to those believers, their previous life, he said, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Meaning you had no pulse. You, you may have been religious, but you were dead. Your soul was dead. Your spirit uh, was dead uh, without faith in Christ. So, so this, this is what Christianity uh, is about, um, righteousness with God, and then righteous living as the Lord lives in us and lives through us. So, Dan, we talked about in the past certain um, topics have come up and how the church's stance over the years have changed. Most uh, recently, there's been a lot of number or a lot of denominations with a lot of people, huge numbers of congregants that have adopted, you know, pro-gay um, theology. Okay. And and so, um, obviously, if we're honest in the conversation, you would have to admit, depending on, you know, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on in this topic. If you are honest about the conversation, when it comes to that, the Bible specifically talks about that, you know, that, uh, the, the gay community and some of the actions that they are involved in, much like anybody else. You know, we've talked about this, and if people want clarification, they can go back to some past episodes and, and listen to what we really got into. But you, ha- they have to be admit that those stances are wrong, okay? Even right. though you're trying to adapt to a society of today, we can't adapt the sins of today and, and put them into... Um, you know, no. so for example, if I can just quickly clarify, because I want people that might just be listening, be like, sure. what are they talking about? So if we have a pastor, let's say, for example, uh, Jimmy Swagger back in the day, or any number of pastor that mm-hmm. has an affair, they're typically removed from the pulpit until there's some sort of healing or some sort of, you know, um, mm-hmm. period of time goes by. But yet we have people that are professing to be gay and preaching from the pulpit. Okay. And so yeah. that's uh, against the Bible. Anybody, you know, in sin. Yeah is against the Bible. Yes. So the point is, yes. is that there's been denominations that have adopted these things, okay, these ideologies yes. to accept the, I guess, the modern Christian, I don't know. But then you talk right. about now how the youth of today are saying, and you're starting to see more and more, that their works will get them into heaven. Do you think it goes back to a foundational thing that, you know, we're not teaching or being taught the the Bible as it should be, that the foundations have cracks in them. Because we've talked about foundations before, that we need to go back yeah. and kind of revamp what we what it is yeah. that we're teaching yeah. and kind of yeah. simplify. So like when you talk to these the youth because you're there in St. Louis and gonna be talking to the youth, I mean, is it like you gotta get back to the basics because it seems like everything else is just bastardized and people are just taking theology for whatever they want and making it fit into their own agenda. Yeah, I tell you, we, we do have to get back to the basics, Son. And, 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 and where that uh, begins is getting back to the understanding that all Scripture is God-breathed and, and that God's Word is inerrant and that we need to take God at His Word. Because here, here's what's really interesting, Son. Um, when you look at those mainline denominations, and it's, it's primarily just you know, uh, you know, like 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 the largest uh, Lutheran church body in America, the ELCA, the, the United Methodist Church is moving in that direction. Um, you know, a Presbyterian denomination, uh, uh, you know, and and some others, mainline groups have gone that way, and, and there are others as well. Um, but but what you find with those groups, Son, is this: it's not only that they have decided to try to change what God's um, design for sexuality has always been, you know, for the past, you know, 6,000 years, uh, which is the the, the biblical history. Um, We don't know how old the earth is because the Bible doesn't tell us uh, that. But the Bible does tell us based on the ages of, of, you know, Adam and Eve's children and, and everyone after them, it does tell us, you know, how many years ago God created Adam and Eve. So if we go back to that, and then we go through the 4,000 years of the Old Testament, the 2,000 years that we've had in New Testament times. Um, what, what we find, Son, is, is that um, there's a very clear uh, message about um, sexuality, about uh, how to treat others, about um, love. 
And, and what I find is that these groups that are trying to change, like this example you're, you're giving here, and we've talked about this, um, who, who try to change the, the issue on, on uh, homosexuality, that is not at all the only thing that, that they have, have sought to change. Because, see, even before they get to that song, what, what we find in those denominations is that they have uh, seminary professors and, and some pastors who simply do not believe some of the basic teachings of the Bible. Uh, some don't even believe that, that Jesus truly resurrected uh, from the grave. Uh, many of them have great issues with just uh, looking at the Bible as inerrant. Um, there's not one of those groups that, that believes, um, at least that I'm aware of, one of those groups that, that you know, endorses uh, now uh, homosexual behavior that would also say that, you know, Jesus was right when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In fact, they've moved the opposite to the opposite direction. You'll hear some of their top leaders making statements that just um, unashamedly promote universalism. Uh, unashamedly uh, claim that, you know, Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. You know, you can be a good, a good uh, Buddhist or Hindu or even maybe atheist, and, and Jesus can't be the only way to heaven. So what, what we're seeing is this sign, when they forsake Scripture, um, then um, the, the dominoes begin to fall. And, 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 you know, chief among them would be, you know, what they believe about Jesus, uh, what, what they believe about his life, his death, his resurrection, his, his uh, teaching on salvation. And when you reject that, Son, as um, a good number of uh, theologians in these church bodies and um, church denominational leaders and pastors, when you get people who just simply don't believe what, what, what Christians have believed for 2,000 years, and, and, and what Jews for 4,000 years before that, and then up to this day, you know, believe about, you know, the Old Testament, about the law, and about homosexuality, and, and adultery, and fornication. When you get people who don't believe uh, in those things, um, it, it's all connected to their view of, of Scripture. They're watering down of Scripture, the parts that they don't find uh, quite as pleasing to modern man's ears. Um, it's not as enlightened. And so they come up with, um, they come up with ways of trying to redefine what God really meant. But it is by no means only in the realm of sexuality that they seek this revisionist, uh, approach. Um, it, it's, it's also in, in, when it comes to salvation. In fact, I would, I would really challenge any listener. I've never really found one. I'm not aware of one person that I've ever heard of or met who would say, um, the rules have changed now on sexuality. It's okay with God if you engage in either um, fornication or adultery, or really the big one, of course, is, is homosexual behavior. I've never really heard somebody that say that, and at the same time say, oh, but, but Jesus is the only way to heaven. See, those two things don't go together, um, because you either take God at his word or you don't. You, you go with what modern, what, what tickles man's ears. And, and so it's a very interesting correlation. You, you, sometimes you, in the natural realm, you even see this in, 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 you know, political beliefs that people have. It's like if, if a person, for example, is, is pro-abortion, then you can kind of guess where they might, uh, where, where they might stand perhaps on something like, you know, say defunding the police, for example, or, 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 you know, one of many other, you know, hot button issues today. But, it just seems like you find these similarities um, when when people go down a particular path. Um, what they find is others are on that same path, and and others with them are are falling for the same things that they're falling for, and um, and, and so it's it's very sad. Uh, and unless unless an individual or a church body uh, is going to get back to scripture, um, you know they're going to be lost. One last thing I'll say, son, is. It was interesting here a number of years ago when the ELCA made their decision to, um, uh, you know, now begin allowing, uh, you know, homosexual relationships to be blessed by their churches and pastors to, you know, to be blessed who want to in engage in a, uh, what they would call a monogamous relationship with somebody of the same sex. Okay, it was interesting when they did that, Son. They had a, a relationship for years with a Lutheran church body in Africa. And um, 
you know, the, uh, the Christians in Africa, including these Lutherans in Africa, um, they, they weren't about to go there with them. And even though they were being subsidized by the, the ELCA, the rich Americans, the rich American church, something to the tune of $3 million, um, they would have had to have gone against their conscience and their convictions and their beliefs to keep getting those funds and to stay in fellowship with the ELCA. Well, they made their decision. And they said, hey, we, we can't go there. I mean, hey, if you need to pull the funds, I mean, hey, it's your money. But we're not going to we're not going to start teaching that something God calls evil is now good, something that God forbids. Now we're going to bless and celebrate. And whether that be fornication, adultery, homosexual behavior, um, these things are clearly spelled out in Scripture. And, and, and this is why ultimately it does become an issue about the Bible song and how a person views God's word. Dan Delzell with us, and uh, Dan, you know, when I do my uh, laundry list of daily misdeeds, I don't, um, I know what I'm doing or things that I might be doing are wrong. I don't try to change the theology about, you know, to try to justify my actions. I realize they're wrong, and sometimes I do them willingly, other times I don't. Um, but I don't try to change the theology, and I don't know, maybe that's just me, but it seems like, you know, people try to change theology to fit their lives. I mean, it clearly expresses, like we're talking about Romans 8 today, that if we live according to the flesh, our mind's going to be set on those things, and then in order to justify our desires, we want to change things. Uh, so for example, you know, change what our beliefs are. So, you know, you mentioned the, the works thing. I'm reminded of when I was working the Frank Sontag show on a radio show here in Los Angeles, a Christian talk show, we would kind of ask those similar questions. And one of the questions was, is there any other way to get to heaven? Because like you mentioned, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father, but by me and many people who would confess to be so they say Bible believing Christians would say there's other ways to get to heaven. And it's just like, how, how can you say that you're a Bible believing Christian and say there's other ways to heaven when the Bible specifically says there's only one way. And so I think it's was one of those things where that's why I asked the question. Do you think we have to get back to the basics? A, because I think we're starting to distort things so that it fits our lifestyle because we want our lifestyle to be not so guilty because we know it's wrong. And so we want to change our theology to fit our lifestyle, which goes back to the fact that we want to have those fleshly desires and that's opposite to the spiritual desires. And so when our mind is governed by flesh, that equals death. That's going to bring more turmoil to our lives. And so in order to have that so-called life and peace in the spiritual life, Without giving up our sinful life, we want to bring and merge the two, and it's just impossible, and that's when everything gets all nutty. Or zany, like you well, said. It, it, yeah, yeah, it, it really does, son. And um, when you do have a professing Christian who who claims, as you said, uh, you know, like some of them, they, they, those folks did on, on the radio show, that, you know, Jesus can't be the only way. What they're saying is this, son, because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What they're revealing is this. Um, you and I can't look into their heart. Um, I mean, if they profess to know Christ as their Savior, perhaps they do. Uh, but 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 what they're what they're um, what they're professing by that sort of a claim is that they certainly are not grounded in just um, basic Christian theology 101 that the Scriptures lay out that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, laid out so beautifully, it comes back to righteousness, son. You know, Paul wrote that if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So, so, the, so the professing Christian who says Jesus can't be the only way, what they haven't worked out yet in their mind, because they haven't, they haven't grown in the Word, even just to that basic level, they haven't worked out in their mind just what it means really to be righteous and, and what it means to believe the gospel and what it means that God does not hold our sins against us on account of Christ for them who believe. They haven't worked that out uh, in their thinking. And they're basing it on, just as many are on the, on the homosexual issue, they're basing it on emotion. They're basing it on what their heart would like to think. I mean, something you and I would love to believe that everyone's going to be in heaven. You know, um, you know, the Bible says God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And yet what we find in Scripture is that there's something God wants even more than that, and that is that people take him at his word. And if you refuse to take God at his word, then you'll be left to your own devices, and you'll be left to pay for your own sins. Not because God was unloving, he's not. Not because God didn't want you in heaven, he did want you there. 
but because you chose rather than the righteousness of Christ, you did not submit to that as, as we we've read in the new Testament. They, they, they did not submit to that. Instead, they sought to establish their own righteousness. So it's amazing. Son. I mean, virtually everything we're talking about today and all of these hot button issues, they go back to the gospel. They go back to righteousness. And then if you get that right in the first place, then it's a matter of just building upon that spiritual maturity, growing in the word and an understanding of how this thing works. But, but you have all sorts of people, as you uh, correctly pointed out, son, they're, they're, they're professing to know Christ, but then they're saying crazy things like, you know, there are many ways to get to God. Well, obviously the Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus didn't teach that. Paul didn't teach that. The New Testament doesn't teach that. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So we, we, we could talk for an hour about how clear the New Testament is on that. And, you know, years ago, you know, there was a lot of talk about Rob Bell's book, you know, Love Wins Out, and, and, and people felt like uh, he was promoting universalism, and it sure sounded in many respects like, like he was. I mean, he, only he can answer that. But um, he, he was saying things that made it seem like he, 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 was, he was saying that, well, you know, God's love in the end is going to save everybody. Well, you know, um, the Bible is clear about God's love and God's justice and the only way to be saved. Um, in fact, the apostles said it after they were filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Uh, it's, uh, so they, they said salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So it's very clear in the Bible there's one way. Jesus is the way. Uh, and if there were any other way, son, that we could be forgiven, do you really think, you know, God would have sent his only son to suffer the way Jesus did, the agony, the torture that he suffered to pay for our sins? If all we had to do was just, you know, pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, you know, be a good Buddhist or a good Methodist or a good Catholic or a good whatever, you know, Hindu and, and, you know, be sincere, you know, come on. I mean, you, Christianity is something different because it offers real righteousness for a real heaven, real forgiveness. It's not based on emotion. It's based on truth. And when you ground your life on truth, you're able to navigate through some of these emotional issues that are very personal to people. If they have someone in their family, let's say, who's, you know, um, you know, living as a, as a gay person, let's say. I mean, it's going to be a very emotional issue. Or, or if the individual himself or herself is, is in that situation, it's a very emotional issue. But, but in, in the end of the day, emotion is not devotion. You know, um, sometimes we have to say no to feelings, desires, uh, inclinations, um, because the Bible says they're sinful, they're evil in God's sight. And it doesn't mean the word some terrible person who can't be redeemed. It just means that um, you can't trust your feelings. And the minute you start to make excuses for your desires, uh, it may be politically correct, culturally co correct. Um, it, it may be the modern thing to say, but, but God's word hasn't changed. And, and uh, folks who, uh, as we've read here in Romans uh, 8 today, folks who have their minds set on, uh, you know, the sinful nature, um, those controlled by that nature cannot please God. So um, that, that's really the bottom line. Yeah, and sometimes saying no and sometimes having that conviction can be costly. I mean, it costs you know, a lot of people in the Bible their lives. And even though it might not cost us or might, you know, like you mentioned, cost the people in Africa Three million dollars in sub, you know, right. in money from the church. It might be, it might be costly, but when we have our foundation and we have our belief in something and our convictions and we stick with it, you know, in this case, the mm -hmm. truth that stands the test of time, then there might be yeah. some suffering. There might be something that goes on, but in the end, it's going to be well worth it because, and that's easier said than done, but because we again, like we've talked about, we like to look as things on this earth from birth to death and then what? But in reality, yeah. it's from the beginning of time, or if you want to say from birth to beyond death and into eternity. And where do we want to spend yeah. eternity? Do we want to spend eternity in heaven or do we want to spend eternity in hell? And so if it's right. one of those things where we stick our convictions and it costs us here on earth, then greater is the reward in heaven. 
And sometimes we yeah. have to start to think in a way that is more eternal than right now. One of the other things that um, I just want to touch on real quick, which I really, yeah. really, really like at the end of Romans, it's one of those things that, you know, when we live in today's society and everything that's going on, I mean, we've got political turmoil. We've got politicians uh-huh. flip-flopping on everything. We've got politicians right. that are leaving, you know, uh, in the midst of a COVID pandemic that, you know, the people out there need financial assistance and yet they up and leave and just, you know, leave everybody hanging. So you can't put your faith in the government. Um, you've got fires going on here in California. I know there was just a big kind of windstorm or, or some court, uh, some sort of storm that went through the Midwest, like in Iowa that knocked out like yes. millions of acres of corn. Um, yeah. I've never heard of it before, but it's some, you know, it's not like a tornado, but it's something that just is. No, no, I, I hadn't either. So I'm like a, like a, a derecho or something yeah, like that. Something like I, that. I, I, when I read it, I'm like, what is that? You know? Yeah. And so we got all this stuff going on from fires to uh, these strong winds that come through and destroy the crops. We've got the political nature. We've got, you know, still the pandemic going on. We've got all these things, which, you know, I guess would say we could say that's a present suffering. Maybe it's not necessarily our suffering for our faith, but it is a suffering. But in the end, and, and the interesting thing about the Bible is that, you know, we've chalked up the modern day Bible into, into chapters. And so we get into this habit of reading maybe by chapter. And then at the end of the chapter, we stop and maybe we'll go back the next day and read the next chapter. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of lose something, especially in the New Testament, because a lot of them are written in letters. And if you read them kind of more in an entirety, then you kind of yeah. get more of the grasp of what the letters being said. But here at the end of Romans eight, you know, it talks about, uh, you know, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future or any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus yeah. our Lord. I think that's yeah. pretty powerful, yeah. you know, to sit there and a, and, a, and a great reminder that no matter what, nothing, nothing that is going yeah. on right now, nothing that is going on in things to come, nothing yeah. that is going on yeah. ever will be able to separate right. us. No. Unless it's ourselves, and we do that voluntarily, yeah. but nothing's going to separate right. us. So once we cling to that, we can have the confidence to know that despite whatever's going on, the love of Jesus is yeah. still there. And if our thoughts are towards yeah. eternity, then our mindset yeah. changes and we realize what's truly important, and that is to focus on the cross, yeah. to focus on Jesus, to focus on the things yeah. of the spirit versus the things of the world. Right. Well, and I'll tell you, that, that, is, that is a beautiful sign, and, and I think it's important, especially in this conversation today with the key issues we've talked about, that we really apply those powerful verses to the individual, let's say, for example, who is experiencing, uh, you know, same-sex attraction. Um, you know, I wrote an article years ago, you know, is it a sin to be gay, in which I stated, you know, nobody wakes up one day and chooses to have gay feelings. I mean, there, there are many different thoughts about how those begin to originate in maybe 1% to 2% of the population. Um, but, but be that as it may, it's a very small percentage compared to what most people experience with their sexual desires. Having said that, um, folks with those desires are, have been often you know, ostracized or even bullied or worse. Um, and, and so let's say you have a Christian who's experiencing that desire or, or some other, you know, forbidden desire. Um, you know, God is for you. He's not against you. Um, uh, nothing can separate, uh, God's love, uh, you know, from you or you from God's love. Um, at the same time, we have to take all of scripture, including all of this letter that you just talked about here, son, the whole letter in, in context. And what that means is this, um, it means that God's uh, love is unconditional, but his acceptance and, and his presence in your life um, is, um, is really um, connected to whether or not um, you really want Jesus to be both your Lord and your Savior, whereby you are willing to give him any sinful desire you have, and rather than embracing it, celebrating it, promoting it, diving into it, living in premeditated sin, which, you know, the person who does that in the Bible, whether whatever, gossip, slander, uh, swindler, uh, you know, an adulterer, a homosexual offender, a thief, a greedy person. I mean, all of these things, son, um, you know, it's not the sin itself, uh, per se, that will condemn a person to hell. But it's a person's attitude. Um, you know, it, it begins with what's your attitude toward Jesus? You know, um, and what about his first sermon? Repent and believe the good news. What's your attitude about that? 
Um, have you repented of your sin? You say, well, I'm not perfect. Then that's not what I asked. Uh, well, I still have certain desires. That's not what I asked. Have you repented? Have you turned from it? Have you asked God to help you? Because here's the thing, my friend, and maybe this will, I don't know, encourage you perhaps. You may struggle with certain sinful desires your whole life, especially if you have dabbled in, in this area or that area, whatever it might be. You know, it's kind of like a person who has, you know, really been um, struggling with an alcohol addiction. And, and there's a reason why uh, many people who have like, you know, kind of come out of that cannot afford to take one drink or they find a quick relapse uh, occurs in their life. The same is true with, with many sins and certainly in the area of, of sexual sins as well. But, but to go back to my main point, you know, let's say you've got a Christian who's struggling with same-sex desire. They're no less a Christian than somebody else, okay? But, but here's the thing. The person who throws caution to the wind and says, you know, this, this battle is too tough. Um, I'm going to choose sin over um, my commitment to Christ. What I mean by that is um, rather than resisting it, rather than, than by God's grace uh, turning away and seeking to say no, even if I have a failure, uh, I'm not going to just give into that and, and assume that that failure now is going to be the new direction of my life because the real you is who you want to be. So again, we've talked about a lot of these things in Romans here in the last couple of weeks, but um, it, it, it goes back to, uh, as we see here in Romans 8, you know, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mindset on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. So it, it does go back, Son, to um, whether or not a person is, is going to um, fight by God's grace to say no, even to their toughest challenge. And, and, and let's not forget, Son, that sexual sin is the one sin, um, you know, the Bible says, against your body. All other sins a man commits are outside his body but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And so Satan has worked overtime on this area because he knows that we are all human. We all um, are weak. We all are prone to, to sin and temptation. But what the world has done in a diabolical fashion, son, really um, at, at the lead of Satan, is, is they, have, they have decided, well, you know what? Um, because this one is so tough for folks, because they deserve to have love with another human being in a way that feels right to them. We need to, um, we need to, you know, uh, change this um, from the sin category to the, you know, hey, this is okay. Um, you know, uh, that's not really what God meant, you know, so on and so forth. But, but, but for the one who's struggling with this area, don't feel like you're a bigger sinner because you're not. Don't feel like, you know, somehow, you know, you're, you're this horrible person and all these other Christians or, you know, these, these great people. But I would say this, whether your temptation is gossip, um, whether it's drugs, you know, whether it's um, greed, whether it's slander, whether it's holding a grudge, whether it's um, fornication, whatever it is, um, just know that God will help you um, and, and just stay in the battle. Um, don't, just, don't just throw caution to the wind. And here's how one way you're going to know if God is still living within you. Okay, if you can deliberately sin and not feel shame about it, um, that is not a good sign, my friend, that you have a pulse. Okay, um, the, the, the two things, really, there would be two questions. Uh, I think that would be the best for a spiritual doctor, if you will, a Christian, to give to a person. The first would be the one I mentioned earlier. You know, if you were to die today and God would say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell him? That's the first question for a diagnosis. But then the second question, Son, is, you know, can, can, can you live in what the Bible calls sin? Can you live with that and not, not feel horrible about it? Not feel like you're, you're just really um, displeasing your Savior. And if you can feel okay with that, that level of deception within your soul that has been worked, that callousness, um, that is not at all a good sign. And, and you really need to get with the Lord because um, without a shame, without shame for sin, son, we will throw ourselves into it. And, and so this is why Jesus' first sermon said, repent and believe. Repent and believe. And, and only by God's grace can that supernatural work be done by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who works repentance and faith. He does it through the word. He does it through preaching. He does it through teaching. Um, and so be encouraged, though, my friend, if you're struggling with maybe even something that society says is more of a forbidden thing. Um, look to Christ, believe in him as your savior, confess your sin to him, and then turn from it and ask him to help you resist it 
And even if you take three steps forward and two steps back, please, whatever you do, don't just throw yourself into it. Because the minute you do that, you are on terribly dangerous ground. You know, Dan, here I remember I was reminded about uh, the story of Freddie Mercury, the uh, lead singer for Queen, and how when the mm-hmm. HIV virus or AIDS was first coming out, it was this mystery illness. And, you know, he had this flamboyant lifestyle and his friends and mm-hmm. people around him were telling him, hey, be careful, be cautious. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's this thing out there. Nobody knows what it is, but it seems to be targeting a certain group of people. And his response mm-hmm. was, I'm doing everything with everybody. Like he just kind of threw caution to the wind. And, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of sad to hear because, you know, we all know eventually what happened. And, um, it's not, uh, not to say that it's a, um, a judgment on the people. That's not the point. The point is, is that, you know, if we're, if there's things going on out there, we need to heed the caution of yep, what it is yep. we're doing. And like you said, you know, if there's something going wrong and we have that inside of us that says, Hey, yeah. maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Maybe it's a struggle. Yeah. But as long as that yeah. thing is there that's irking us and keeping us, like you yeah. said, with the blood pressure and the pulse, like, hey, this is wrong, yeah. this is wrong. Because once we throw caution to the wind and we're like, you know what, whatever, yeah. and I'm just going to give yeah. into this, whatever it is, then the result is probably going to be something that's going to be perilous to ourselves. Well, you know, that, that's it. Son. And, and let, let, let's just face it, too. I mean, you know, maybe for every individual in America who is throwing caution to the wind with their same-sex uh, desires, you, you may have 50 folks in America who are throwing caution to the wind in the area of fornication or adultery. Um, Neither one of those individuals is any better or worse uh, than the other. Um, You know, again, it's not the sin itself, but it's the attitude towards sin. Um, This this is what makes it um, so dangerous in a person's life. Um, This is why um, we we have to be very careful because, you know, that Freddie Mercury example that you gave there, son, um, that's one way to live. But but it, but you you burn out on it. You never can quench uh, the thirst for sin. It, it only gets stronger. Uh, you never quench it. Whereas with the wellspring of the Holy Spirit, God's living water, um, what happens there is it's very satisfying. It, it, it's very um, uh, peaceful. And 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 so if you right now, my friend, have both of those things going on within you, well then read Romans seven. You know um, it describes what you're going through perfectly, and and just. Um, let God's word strengthen you and guide you to a life of purity, uh, to a life, um, it, it, there has to be, you know, abstinence in your life, uh, for now, uh, or maybe even for your life, perhaps, you know, uh, I mean, what, what would be worse, you know, um, living life, fulfilling all of those desires and then facing God one day without any, uh, covering for your sin or, um, you know, not experiencing all of those desires, but having God's peace and strength in the midst of your struggle. And, and, and what you'll find is this too, my friend, every hour, every day that you go without feeding that mental thought, um, you will likely find it, um, you know, uh, a little bit easier to, to say no to. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking about what many people call, you know, like, you know, conversion therapy. I mean, I'm sure for many different types of therapy like that have worked. Um, but the greatest type of conversion therapy is the scripture. Um, but you're never going to convert your basement room of, of your sinful nature. Um, so, you know, even if let's say you go for five years and, and you had been living with same-sex desire, maybe just throwing caution to the wind like Freddie Mercury, and then all of a sudden you, you go a year, two years, three years, whatever, where you're really not burning with that passion anymore, and maybe you're even having some, you know, heterosexual desires. You're, here's the thing, okay? If the other thing ever comes back, don't be surprised that the desire pops up because the basement room of your soul um, has experienced that. And for whatever reason, you seem to maybe be one of those who is very susceptible to that. Again, it doesn't make you better or worse than anybody. But, but you know, it's not as simple as, well, you know, you just get converted from it. Now you're never going to experience it again. You may have a lifelong struggle, but there are many testimonies of people who have come out of it. Um, who no longer even baseball, it's almost like the alcoholic, okay? I remember talking to a guy I, I knew real well who had gone like, you know, over 30 years without taking a drink. And I asked him one time, I said, you know, um, as you started to, you know, say no to alcohol in those early days, weeks, months, I said, you know, as the days, months, weeks, and years went by, did it get easier and easier to just say no? And he said, absolutely. Okay. And, and you see, my friend, that's the way it works. Okay. But the, if we can say no to sin today, it's going to be a little bit easier tomorrow. 
but 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 the, the minute we feed our mind and then our body, okay, with it, um, we become enslaved. Remember Adam and Eve, okay? It began with a lust of the eyes, of the mind, and then ultimately they gave their body into it. And this is the way sin works. Uh, it appeals to the eyes. It appeals to the mind. You know, thoughts. And I think, son, many people, I think, who who dabble in in uh, in, in homosexual uh, and and in, in lesbian activities, let's say as teenagers, I think many times. It's done out of an emotional need, maybe even more than a sexual or physical need. But then you get ensnared, you know, like a person maybe who who starts out with um, maybe just dabbling with marijuana, but then maybe it's a gateway drug to uh, to something else. Um, this is what happens with sin of many different kinds. And why why should homosexual uh, desire be any different, um, even though it's maybe only one or two percent of people, and and the much bigger the sin is, is is adultery and fornication. I mean, oh, and last thing I was going to say, son, is this: the only reason I think Christians even talk about this homosexual issue is because people are trying to de-sin it and trying to declassify and change it. Okay, I mean, I don't know of a Christian, including myself, who would have any interest in 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 pointing out that one sin. Because think about son, think about some of the sins mentioned in the Bible that we, we, we don't really ever talk about because sexual sins, that is, or, or of this kind or that kind, simply because you, you don't really hear many people in America or the world promoting that as now we should accept that. You do hear that with homosexuality. That's why the church has felt this need to respond, and rightly so, uh, because of, 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 you know, fidelity to God's word. But, but if it wasn't for people pushing a revisionist view of that, I, I doubt if churches would hardly even mention it, because there's so many other things. I mean, like people said, Jesus never really seemed to mention it. But, but you know what? He raised the bar. He raised the bar on, you know, adultery. You know, now if you look at a woman lustfully, you commit an adultery with her. So we're supposed to think that while he did that on thou shalt not murder, and he said if you call someone a fool, um, you're in danger of the fire of hell. If you look at a woman lustfully, um, you've committed adultery. Now we're supposed to assume that when it comes to homosexuality, we know what the Old Testament says. New Testament verses say the same thing. But just because Jesus didn't specifically address it, maybe it was out of tremendous compassion. Maybe it was out of just, you know, realizing what an intense struggle that is. Maybe it was out of not wanting to single that out, okay? Which I think that's where the church would be today as well, son, if it wasn't being pushed, pushed, pushed by those who want to push acceptance even in churches. That's the only reason I can see why people today are, are talking about it, including our conversation about it today. Yeah, I totally agree with that, that if it wasn't being on the front lines of the the de-sin movement, that's going to be the next movement that comes out. You know, we have the defund movement. Now it's going to be the de-sin right. movement. Let's unsin all these things, and then we're going to protest yeah. churches and stuff until you de-sin a certain thing, right? That's going to be the next uh, cancel culture right. thing that comes there out of go. it. Yep. But, but yeah, yep. that's so true. It's it's If people don't make a fuss over something, then it doesn't become front, uh, you know, front and center headline news, no. and then we people don't have to make a stand because it does come down to that. It does come down to kind of like this COVID thing, you know, with the churches. Yeah. At some point, you have to make a stand. Enough's enough, and that's why churches right. are now stepping up and here in California sure. fighting against the government because enough's right. enough, and we have to make a stand. You don't make a big deal of go. it; it doesn't become an issue. You make a big deal of it right. now; it's an issue because we have to make the stand. Well, and, and really, you know, spiritual integrity, spiritual leadership, it calls for a response, doesn't it? When, when some, because, because when, when these positions are taken by, by, you know, leaders in the community or cultural leaders or leaders in the entertainment world and musicians and, and even churches, you know, like I say, mainline churches, um, you know, nobody really wants to step into that hot mess. But, but we're called to address issues that are hurting young people, that are leading young people astray. You know, I mean, you know, I'll tell you, son, I wonder how many people today are enslaved by, um, by a, a lust that they um, acquired because they heard Katy Perry uh, sing, I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It. And somebody thought, well, that sounds fun. That sounds rebellious. That sounds new. That sounds different. And what they don't realize is this, son. Um, they, they, they step into the lion's den and, and they begin to get consumed with something that they, they can absolutely not control. And it's that way with really virtually any sin. But, but that's just a case in point where if, if the church just simply caves on that, the way some of these denominations have caved on it, um, what are they going to say to the Lord about these young souls? who gave themselves uh, to sexual lust on the path to hell rather than 
repentance and faith in Jesus uh, on the narrow road to heaven. What are they going to say to Jesus? I, I tell you, it, it, it's going to make quite a conversation, I'm sure. But, but we have to speak up with compassion, um, with clarity, but also with balance. I mean, we can't just single out one thing or the other. And that's why, Son, anytime this homosexual thing comes up, I always try to uh, balance it with the much more prevalent issues of fornication and adultery, because it's really not fair to the person who's experiencing, you know, um, you know, homosexual desires to have that thing talked about if you're not going to talk about the much more prevalent issues of uh, of adultery and and uh, fornication. So anyway, um, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly been a, a very uh, good talk today, Son, on, on some critical issues. Well, Dan, we appreciate it. Thanks uh, again for your time and uh, for your comments and for uh, just sharing what God puts on your heart. And we look forward to uh, more talks together as we cross some of these issues that affect us here uh, on a daily basis in the society in which we live today. Well, I sure look forward to that as well. And thank you, Son, for all that you're doing and just for allowing me in to, uh, to have these great conversations with you. And, and we, we pray for all of you who are listening that, um, that this is helping and, and uh, that the Lord will continue to guide and bless and lead your life uh, with his grace and, and through the gospel. Dan Dozell, author of The Christian Post. You can find many of his writings there at thechristianpost.com. Just search his name. It pops up. Also a pastor at a church in Papillion, Nebraska. Dan, if they want to find you, what's an email address if they want to reach out and have more uh, questions or concerns or anything? Yeah, it's just Dan Delzell, D-A-N-D-E-L-Z-E-L-L at cox.net. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear from anybody who might want to reach out and would love to uh, um, you know, start up a, uh, a dialogue. You can find me on Instagram at Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S, at Edom Rocks. You can reach me there as well. And so, Dan, once again, thank you so much. And for those who are listening, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.